switched on. We'll try them again. Good morning. Good to see all who are here in the worship of God. We're going to join together as we sing together the we're going to join together the singing of the hymn 528. It's a great hymn, tis finished. The Messiah dies, cut off for sins, but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice, the great redeeming work is done. Stand to sing.
Our psalm for today is the Psalm 140. Let's hear God's word as we come to Seguin prayer. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who, who have purpose to overthrow my goings. The proud have hid a snare for me, and cords they have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me, Selah. I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves, Selah. As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. We know that God will always bless his word, the reading of it, to every heart. And we just pray that that will be so this morning as we've read these words together. Let's bow together in prayer. Almighty God and gracious Father in heaven, we come before thy presence now to worship the living God, to extol thy name, to glory particularly in Christ, our Redeemer. It is our desire from the outset of our coming together that Jesus Christ the Lord will have all the preeminence, that he will be seen, that our hearts will run after him, that his glory will be manifested in the midst. We pray that thou wilt help each worshiper this day to fix their gaze upon the man on the cross, the Lord who died for us, gave himself for us, that our sins might be forgiven. We are here today because of Calvary. We are here because our God loved us and sent his Son to be the sacrifice for sin. We're here because thou hast redeemed us with the blood of the Lamb, and you've given to us a new song in our hearts, a song to magnify the Lord in his great work of redemption. Lord, we're glad we're saved. We're glad that our sins are pardoned forever. We're glad, Lord, that we have this knowledge. It is well, it is well with our souls. We rejoice, Lord, that Christ came in when the Holy Spirit brought about that great work of, of the new birth, regeneration. Jesus came in to dwell in our hearts by faith, by his Spirit. 
And we know that Christ is living within the heart of every true child of God. And we pray that that will help us to be more conformed to his image. We know that Christ died that we might be like him. Make us pure and holy. Make us zealous and fervent in all that we do for thee. Whatever our hands find to do, Lord, may we do it with our might. We pray that as we have set our hand to the plow, that we'll not look forward, but we'll go straight ahead with God and we'll plow a good furrow for your glory and honor. Thank thee for the past week, the mission in the, in the town hall, for a conscious sense of the presence of God night by night, for the unconverted that you brought in. And Lord, though we would love to see scores of people coming in in their droves to hear your word, and we would love to see a mighty revival manifest itself in this town, yet we are thankful for all that the Lord has done and for the small things. We know that though our beginning is small, our latter end can greatly increase. And so as this mission continues for another week, we pray that the tide of blessing will rise. We pray that the many invitations that were given out will be responded to positively. We pray that sinners will come in and hear your word and in hearing that they might believe. We know that Jesus is passing this way. He's visiting the town in this gospel mission. He's giving opportunity for men to be saved. Lord, make them wise unto salvation. Don't let them miss the opportunity. Every time we think of the harvest, the physical harvest, we know that the harvest can be lost if we fail to gather it in. And Lord, we know that the spiritual harvest can also be lost if it's not gathered in. And so we pray for the reaping time. We pray as your servants as we, we go forth according to the Psalm 126, weeping, bearing precious seed, that we will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. And so we pray for your blessing. Remember the Reverend Brown as he speaks tonight, fill him with the Holy Ghost and with power. Remember the youth choir as they minister in song. Lord, give them a love in their heart as they sing, as they worship the Lord in song. Remember every night this week in the preaching of your word, the special testimony on Friday night, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mighty works of God might be seen in these days. Remember the situation also in Ukraine as we hear uh, almost on a daily basis of devastating news, bombings and injuries and murder and, Lord, so many losing their lives. We pray, Lord, that thou will come, that thou wilt not tarry, but you will bring this war to a conclusion. Protect your people. Remember the witness there, pastors and missionaries that are serving the Lord, taking a stand for thee. Thank thee for sinners that are being converted. Oh God, we pray that you will protect them in this work and may many in these days turn to Christ. Pray for Donald and the others that are with him as they visit Poland for these few days and they meet up with some of the Ukrainian brethren. Make their way prosperous. Help them to be a great encouragement at this time. Lord, we also thank you for the work of God here in every department, for the work of the Sunday school and the Bible class already this morning. Bless the seed of the word that has been sown into the hearts of the children and the youth. Thank thee, Lord, for the news this week of little boy who professed faith in Christ. And Lord, we just acknowledge your mercy 
And we say to God be the glory. And we pray that you'll bless him and lead him on and help him to become strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Oh God, multiply this. May we see the upcoming generations saved soundly. We pray, Lord, that you'll gather in families. You know, those that have even been invited to the mission, bring them in this week. And may the tide of blessing rise for Jesus' sake. Amen. Very warm word of welcome to each and every one gathered. And we are delighted to have Matthew and Isabel uh, from Scotland, uh, the Patents, visiting with us. They have come over for the weekend, particularly just to spend some time in fellowship with the congregation here at Hebron. And just so we know who you are, you wouldn't mind just standing up, brother and sister, and we welcome you in the Savior's name. You've, you've made a journey. You've made a journey to be with us, and anyone that crosses over the REC to be with us, well, they're very, very welcome indeed, and we bid you welcome in Jesus' name. We have those listening in on the internet. We're glad to have you. May you be blessed and encouraged just where you are. I've been asked if the Youth Fellowship members can go to the Carson Complex immediately. This service is over. Very conscious that you're singing at the mission this evening, and I, I'm assuming that a little practice needs to be put in. So young people, go there as soon as this meeting is finished. Gospel meeting in the town hall tonight at 7 the Hebron Youth Choir will sing. Reverend David Brown will bring the word. You pray for him. We have enjoyed preaching all this week, and the Lord has been among us, and I trust it will be the same again tonight. Now we commend the prayer meeting to you. As this week comes to uh, really be the final week, we're asking to get to the prayer meetings, and let's saturate the mission in the prayers of God's people. They will be half an hour before the meetings, and that's in the MacArthur room just as you come in to the town hall from the front entrance. Remember us as we preach. We've had this long-standing engagement to preach at the harvest tonight in Tandragee. Appreciate your prayers. Mission continues this week, Monday through to Friday, each night, eight o'clock and then next Sunday night is the final night of the mission. The singers this week, we can just give you a quick preview of the last week. Uh, Lucy Jane is singing tomorrow night. Pray for her. The Word of Truth uh, are singing on Tuesday night. Rebecca on Wednesday night. Sarah Knowles on Thursday night. Marcus and, and Cherith Lecky on Friday night. Friday night, we're having a special testimony. Andy Copeland who is an ex-paramilitary, is coming to tell us how the Lord rescued him and saved him. Friday night is also the Missionary Council in Martyrs Memorial. Next Lord's Day begins with prayer at 8 o'clock, Sunday school 10.30, Bible class 10.45, and Mervyn will be dealing with the Bible's prophet as he deals with the overall subject, the wonder of God's Word. Worship service, 12 noon, I'll be here, God willing to preach. Then we go for that final service in the town hall. The Hebron Choir will finish the singing uh, on Sunday night next, and I'll be preaching in the will of God. We ask you to pray for us, please, night by night. We thank you sincerely for your tithes and offerings to the work of God. Today is building fund, 
and next week it's the missionary covenant and the school support uh, to be brought in. We continue to remember uh, the sick before the Lord. It's good to see Mervyn with us in the service today and others who have been laid aside. May the Lord bless you and continue to strengthen you physically. We pray for all the various aspects of Ukraine and those that we've come to know and the works that we've come to know, the young men that are serving the Lord and, uh, and gospel work and others that are in the army and, and volunteers in dangerous positions. We remember them at the throne of grace and prayer. We'd like to extend our sincere sympathy to Fergus and Annie Caldwell and the family on the death of Annie's brother-in-law. We trust that they'll know something of the sustaining grace of God in their time of sorrow. On a happier note, we want to sincerely congratulate Joshua and Carrie, who are with us this morning on their engagement that took place yesterday afternoon, evening time. So may the Lord bless you both. Congregation will pray for you as we pray for all of our young people. And as you make plans and arrangements for the future, we trust that God will guide you in every single detail. We got some photographs recently from the House of Hope. Some of you ask, how's the ministry there? And these folks are still being cared for. They're still being looked after. And this is just a sample of the photographs that were sent to me. They, there's many more that I could show, but that's, that's just a little sample. Pray for these aged people in the House of Hope. Pray also for those who have gone to visit in the land of Nepal at this time. Uh, you'll recognize their faces. Every other person has gone. The other two are there, as you will know. But you pray for them that God will make their way prosperous and successful. Pray also for the work in India. Uh, Dipankar continues to do a great work. And we think of those that are doing the diploma course and they're studying hard and doing their exams. And these are uh, the, the folks along with God's servant. Pray for these young people, please. It's very good to have, isn't Kathy there? Kathy, we want just to thank you for the work that you've done in all the duplication, uh, the CDs and the DVDs. Uh, she's been doing this for 13 years, if, if I'm right. And uh, her little ministry there has come to an end. And we just want to say thank you in the Savior's precious name. Isn't Kathy there? Is she, is she hiding? Uh, she is. I think she's hiding behind someone there. I can see the rest of the family. Kathy, I'm going to ask you to do something you would just love to do, and that's come up here, because I've got a small presentation to make on behalf of the church. Just every step, you're enjoying every step coming up here, I know that. Kathy, the Lord bless you. I thought I would give you DVDs of all my sermons. <laughs> over the past 25 years. All right. Thank you very much. God bless you. Amen. Just in case there's anybody silly enough to think it's not, it's not DVDs of my sermons. There's always somebody who will think that way. Um, do you want to admit it? One other announcement. We mentioned Thursday week ago at the prayer meeting that there was this Blue Star Bible Tour 
uh, going to Israel, Egypt, Turkey, Athens. It's a Mediterranean cruise. And I was asked to mention this. There is a special price there that is being held until the end of this month, just to the end of this month, I'm told. So uh, those application forms are there and they are available if anyone is interested. Now we're going to sing 519, Brightly Beams Our Father's Mercy from His Lighthouse Evermore. But to us He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. If you're a Christian, you are the lights along the shore. D.L. Moody, one night when he was preaching the gospel, he was trying to give the illustration of how Christians are lights in the world. And he told that familiar story of the sea captain and his crew who were trying to make Cleveland Harbor many, many years ago in their ship. It was a stormy night. It was a very dark night. There were no stars in the sky. And all they could see as they came towards Cleveland was the lighthouse. But usually there were lights along the shore. And there were many rocks around the harbor of Cleveland. And those lights along the shore were a guide to go a safe passage to the harbor. But because those lights were out, disaster struck that night. The sea captain did his best to bring the ship to safety. But the ship hit the rocks and many, many lives were lost as a result. P.P. Bless was a song leader that night and that gave him the thought of writing this hymn just to remind Christians that we are those lesser lights. We are the lights along the shore. Jesus Christ is the great lighthouse and men need to get to him, the light of the world. And you and I are guides in the midst of this stormy, tempestuous life to get to Christ. Let our lights be shining, brethren and sisters, every day and especially at this mission time as we lead others to the great light who is our Savior. Let's think of the words and be challenged by them as we sing. And the
reading of the Word of God is in the eighth chapter of Mark. You may remember we were here two weeks ago in the same passage of Scripture as we thought about bringing blind men to Christ. So important to do that, very apt when we think of our mission and bringing others to the Savior. Going to read the same verses again as we did two weeks ago from verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him and asked him if he saw aught or if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Let's bow together before God in prayer. Lord, we have read your truth. Again, coming to this incident in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, that is filled with instruction for us. We want to learn. We want as best as we can, by the grace of God, to bring ourselves to the feet of the Savior today, that we might learn from Christ. When Mary sat at Jesus' feet, Jesus said that she chose the better part. And Lord, we want that to be a reality when we come to this church, that it's not the voice of a preacher that is heard, it's the voice of Christ. In a very real way, we're coming to sit at the Master's feet to learn from His Word. And so we say simply, Speak, Lord, for thy servants heareth. Speak to my heart. Speak to this people today. Reign righteousness upon us and grant us the Holy Spirit as our guide and teacher now for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to take for my text, verse 25, the latter part of it, as we speak on the subject, the necessity of having a clear vision. And here in verse 25, when the Lord touched this man for the second time and he looked up, we are told that he saw every man clearly. He saw every man clearly. And I want you to remember that. I want you to, to think about that. Our Savior enters into the city of Bethesda, the hometown, as you know, of Philip, Andrew, and Peter. A blind man is brought to Christ by some kind friends who possessed only one desire, that Jesus would put his hands upon their friend and restore his sight that he could see. The Savior leads the blind man outside the city where he performs a miracle of restoration in a most peculiar fashion. And the man is eventually brought to see and brought to see clearly. Now, there are many, many applications from this wonderful healing miracle which are full of challenge for us today. 
We have already seen that Bethesda was the hometown of the three disciples that I have mentioned. And we sought to emphasize the fact that our hometown is the place where our gospel work begins. That's where our witness begins. We cannot possibly ever dream of being a missionary to some other nation in the world until we have proved ourselves right here at home. And of course, these disciples started in their hometown. We know that Andrew found his brother, brought him to Christ. We know that Philip found his friend, Nathaniel, brought him also to Christ. We also noted that Bethesda was known as the fisher's town. Peter and Andrew, and likely Philip, were fishermen, and the Lord called them from their nets to this higher work, catching men, catching souls for the glory of God. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And I want Balamone, though we said two weeks ago, known as Cow Town, to become the fisher's town for you and I as Christians that we will cast out the gospel net and draw it to shore. And may it please God that many fish for the glory of God will be caught and found for the Lord. We also noted that the blind man is a picture of the unconverted who cannot see. They cannot see their true condition before God. They cannot see the offensiveness of their own sin. They cannot see the beauty of Christ. They cannot see the terror of the Lord They cannot see the danger that they are in, and they cannot see the way to heaven because they are blind. And we're dealing with blind people in this gospel mission. We need to pray that God will open their eyes. We also noted that Satan labors intently to keep men in that state of spiritual blindness. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in. And Satan has been busy. He's been busy for centuries. But I tell you, he's been extra busy in Balamone in these days, keeping sinners in that state of blindness. We also noted that our occupation as Christians is to bring blind sinners to Christ. And we do that by our witness, the things that we say. We do it by our invitations as we invite people to come under the sound of the gospel. We do it by our pleading and our reasoning with them. We do it by our praying. And we also notice the importance of prayer. For these men besought Christ on behalf of their friend. Their burden drove them to prayer. I can't see if a person has a real burden that it doesn't drive them to prayer, no matter what that burden is. If you find yourself heavy laden with a great burden weighing upon your shoulders, upon your life, surely as a Christian, you know what to do. You bring it to the Lord in prayer. And that burden that we ought to possess for the blind and the lost of our town ought to drive us to our knees and bring us to prayer. And so we must not be absentees at the prayer meeting. And we must be fervent in our private prayers and maintain those prayers at home. So we look to God to pour out a spirit of supplication upon us at this time. But I want to look at this passage of Scripture, this story, 
in an entirely different way. I want to take a different angle. Not only does the blind man represent sinners in their state of spiritual blindness, in desperate need of having their eyes opened, but he represents the saints of God as well and the vision that we need to acquire for the souls of men who are perishing in their sin. We see in this blind man a picture of of most professing Christians in their view of the unconverted. There is a way in which this story may be interpreted and applied to the hearts of you and I as believers. There was a day when we ourselves were blind in our sin. That's one way that we've looked at this blind man. We were just like him, and we couldn't see. We were in spiritual darkness. We could not see how offensive our sin was. We could not see the need of our souls. We could not see the destiny to which we were heading. We could not see the terror of the Lord, nor could we see eternity. We could not even see the remedy. Our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of men, we were as blind as blind could be. We walked in darkness without true light, and we were heading to the blackness of darkness forever. Then the grace of God found us. We were brought to Christ. We experienced, if you like, the saving touch of Jesus Christ in our lives. Our eyes were opened, really opened for the first time. We saw things that we never saw before. We were able now to grasp things that we couldn't previously. We saw things differently. But we did not see everything immediately, nor did we see everything fully. We still had a lot to learn, and we still have a lot to learn. There's a great need for God's people as they grow in the grace of God to see things more clearly and with greater understanding. We need spiritual vision. We need to look through the eyes of God and see how God sees. We need our eyes open to view things as they really are. And one of the most important things that we need to observe with deeper conviction and burden of soul is the condition of the lost around us who are on the road to hell. Men and women, we need to see that. But alas, too often, our vision is impaired. It's only partial. Just like the blind man outside Bethsaida, when the Lord first touched his eyes, he he saw men as trees walking. I need the Savior's touch today. I need the eye salve of God to be applied to these eyes of mine that I might have better vision. And so do you, brethren and sisters. And so I want to think about the necessity of having a clear vision. (coughs) The first thing is the vision that we must possess. We should be able to see people as they are. We should be able to see as Jesus sees. That's the way I want to see. I don't want to look through these eyes. I want to be instructed by the Lord so that I can see through the eyes of Christ. As I look upon a fallen humanity, as I look upon a world of sin, I want to see through the eyes 
of my blessed Lord and Redeemer. Because without a vision, the people perish. It was our motto text in the year 2000 when we wanted to set before our people having a good vision then. If we don't have a vision, the Bible reminds us the people around us are going to perish. Now, did you ever consider how Jesus viewed this world? How he looked at people round about him? God's Son beheld men with perfect clarity. He saw the lost as lost souls in this world when he sent his disciples on that very first mission. In Matthew chapter 10, he spoke about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Speaking of his own commission, he said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so as the Lord looked upon this world, he saw men lost in their sin, lost without hope. And we need to see that. Jesus also saw the true condition of men's hearts. One day, he said about the hypocrites of Jerusalem, their heart is far from me. Jesus knew that. He proclaimed, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Jesus realized that the problem of man was the problem that belonged to his heart, a heart that was far away from God and a heart that was full of sin. And all these outward manifestations of sin came from a wicked heart because that's what we are without Christ. Jesus also saw the awful eternal destiny of men who would die in their sin. He spoke about the inhabitants of those cities who had rejected him like Capernaum as those that had been exalted to heaven, but one day they were going to be brought down to hell. This is the Christ who declared in the most solemn terms that hell was a furnace of fire. It was a place where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth, indeed a place about our darkness, He called a lost eternity the damnation of hell, and he spoke about it being uh, with everlasting fire, a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And with a deep conviction in his heart, he warned men and women about a place where men, like the man in Luke 16, would lift up their eyes, being in torments, in that place of darkness, in that place of fire, Jesus warned them faithfully because Jesus had a proper vision of where men were going. He stood there for with outstretched hands. He says, come to the people of his day. It was the text that Jonathan preached on in the open air yesterday. Come unto me, All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, Jesus could see men as they were. He saw their awful destiny. He saw, indeed, there's coming that day of separation when the sheep and the goats will be separated for all eternity. And therefore, he says, come, come unto me. He wept for sinners. Looked over Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
was just before his death. He looked over Jerusalem as he came down from the Mount of Olives, that path that brought him into view of the city. And as he thought about the people there, the men and the women and the children that lived there, sorrow filled his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee as a hen gathers her chickens together. But he would not, and he wept. He wept. And when he went into the garden of Gethsemane and was in that agony of soul and prayer, you remember how Paul in Hebrews described him as a man of strong crying and tears. Because Jesus had proper vision and could see men as they really were in all their sin and with all that destiny that was before them, Jesus wept. And my dear friends, Jesus exhorts us to get our eyes on the pathetic condition of the lost today that are on the road to hell. And if our blessed Lord and Savior was to come and stand in the midst of this church today, I believe he would say something like he did to the disciples outside the city of Sychar. He would say, lift up your eyes, especially at this mission time, when the gospel is being preached night by night, when we think of the thousands of thousands of people that live in this town without Jesus Christ, lift up your eyes and look. I wonder, have you got the vision that God wants you to have for sinful men round about in this town. Every child of God ought to have their eye fixed upon the realities of man's need and destiny. We need impressed upon our hearts and our consciences again and again the eternal need. Need to live, as we, we quote that little phrase often, with eternity's values in view. The most valuable possession that any man has is his soul, his never-dying soul, his immortal soul that will live on and on and on through the countless ages of eternity. I have a soul to be saved. May that truth be engraved on my mind and my heart while I'm young. Oh, how awful the cost if my soul should be lost and in hell if I die as I am. We need that branded upon us, men and women, the eternal need, the lost condition of man. We need that branded upon us. Men are lost in this world. They're without God. They're without hope. We need the reality of hell burned into our hearts. Often we live without this view. The awful descriptions of the Bible are forgotten. And if they're not forgotten, it just seems to be a kind of a, a head knowledge, a, a mental consent that we give to these things. It's just facts. We can quote verses of the Bible, but the reality of hell has never really gripped our souls. No wonder the old general Booth, he said once, that he would like to send all his candidates for officership to hell for 24 hours as a major part of their training. Well, we need to get a sight of what it is for a soul to die without the Lord and be ushered out into hell. 
And we also need branded upon our minds and hearts the shortness of life. How brief our sojourn is in this life. No matter what age you live to, if you do live to 70, 80, 90, 100 years of age, your life is just a passing moment when you compare it to the great eternity of God. And we need to see that life is short. It's short for the sinner that we need to reach. We don't know what a day will bring forth for them. We don't know what calamity might meet them tomorrow. Thinking about what happened just over a week ago in Donegal, a freak accident that has been called. Ten people blown out into eternity from the children to the adults. And none of them really that old. That could happen to anyone any day. Life is short. And short not only for the sinner, but short for you and I as the believer who needs to be rescuing those who are in their sin. We need a vision. We need to look at things with a proper and an eternal perspective. We need to gaze through the divine eye. This is how we must begin to see our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors. But alas, it's missing so often. May God give us the vision that we need to possess. My second point, very quickly, is the imperfection that we must confess. In verse 24 of our reading, the Lord had touched this man, you know, outside the the town, and he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. Do you see anything? As far as he had recovered his sight, this is how he described it. I see men as trees walking. He could not distinguish men from trees except he could discern some movement. So as he looked through these dim eyes, there were these tall figures. Some were stationary. He supposed them to be trees and and others moved. They must be people. He had some glimmerings of sight, but it was not complete and it was not clear. And we fail to see men as they really are. We can walk down a street, a busy street, full of people and souls passes on either side. And you know all they are, they're just like trees walking to the believer. We stand in the open air as we did yesterday. There were 13 of us there. People were walking by. How did we see them? Those of you that were there, I'm I'm including myself in this, how did we see them? Just as trees walking? Or did we see them as we really should? We can call at the homes of our neighbors, giving out invitations. How do we see them when they come to the door? We can work with the unconverted, as many of you do. And young people, you're sitting in a class in your place of education with unconverted young people. How do you see them? Are they just like trees walking, or do you see them as perishing souls? Do you see them clearly in all their undoneness before God? Oh, our vision is impaired. It's just partial if we're honest. We can acknowledge a certain amount of facts. We can possess a certain amount of burden, uh, and we can plead for a certain, um, in a certain way, but our eyes are still dimmed. 
and obscured. The way that we live proves this, doesn't it? The way we live our lives every day and we walk among society. Do we just see men as trees walking? Let's be honest. The way we pray. I talked earlier about the burden. If, if you've got a burden in your heart, it's going to drive you to prayer. But the way we pray just proves the fact we just see men as trees walking. We don't see them the way we should. The way we invite souls to the mission. Some of you have invited others to the mission. It may be that this mission has now come halfway and, and you haven't invited one person. Some of you have. But as you invited them, how did you see them? And how did you invite them? Was it just a, a wee glib invitation or did you plead with them to come to the mission? The way we, we work at special times, whether it's for a family night or a mission, proves that we just see men as trees walking. The way we stand in silence before them and we don't tell them of a Savior proves that we see them as trees walking. Often we fail to see things as they are. That was the problem, you remember, with Elisha's servant. We read about the story in 2 Kings, known to most of you here, and verse 15, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host encamped, sorry, compassed the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. He saw, and behold, the, mountains, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. We have eyesight trouble. Our vision is blurred. We have spiritual cataracts on our eyes that causes this dimness that we can only see partially. Men as trees walking. We need to have our eyes opened just like this servant of Elisha had his eyes open to see reality. And that brings me to my final point, the intervention that we must request. Verse 25, look at it there of our Bible reading in Mark chapter 8. After that he had put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, he, he was restored and saw every man clearly. The eye of our soul needs touched by the divine hand. Only then will we see with clear vision and view our fellow man with that clarity and accuracy as we ought. We will gaze upon them not as trees walking, but as lost, perishing, doomed sinners who need to be rescued. Elisha interceded for his servant, and as he interceded, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see Prayer was answered, for the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And as he did that, we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes. May God be pleased to answer this simple request today. If we could see clearly, our lives would be transformed. What a difference it would make to the way we live, 
to the way we, we witness, to the way we invite, to the way we pray, to the way we preach. Jesus Christ had this vision. He saw clearly what a burden pressed upon his soul when he wept over that city of Jerusalem that we mentioned. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And those words that I mentioned earlier. The apostle Paul saw clearly, I could wish myself were accursed from Christ. That's the burden he had. He testified of possessing great heaviness and continual sorrow. When was the last time you felt that way for sinners outside of Christ? Your kinsmen, according to the flesh, your family, your friends. Great heaviness, weighing, pressing upon your soul. Continual sorrow that brings you to real tears. Think of the passion of Paul. Think of the journeys that he went on in the pursuit of souls. Think of all the suffering that he came through that he might win some. Spurgeon saw this way. I would willingly lay down my very life if I could bring all in this tabernacle to the Lord Jesus Christ as he preached to his congregation. I would die if I could just bring you to the Savior. David Brainerd, you remember, he said, I cared not how I lived nor what hardship I went through if only I might gain souls for Christ. He had the burden. John Knox had the burden, constantly carried that burden in his soul for his homeland. Night after night he prayed on the wooden floor of his hideout refuge as he hid from Queen Mary. When his wife pleaded with him to come back to bed and to get some sleep, he answered, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? It is said that often Knox would pray all night in agonizing tones, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And God shook Scotland and God gave him Scotland. You need to feel this way, brethren and sisters. This is the intervention that we need in our lives and we must request for that intervention. There's a little poem that says, Lord, give me a vision a vision of thee, lest people should perish who live around me. A vision, I pray thee, a vision of love to win those around me for heaven above. Will you pray that prayer, dear believer, in the halfway mark of the mission? Lord, give me a vision. I trust that you will. We're going to bow together before the Lord in prayer. Let me quote that little line or two once more. As I quote it, maybe some of you might feel burdened to pray it. You might feel exercise in your heart just to reiterate these words. I pray them now. Lord, give me a vision, a vision of thee. Lest people should perish who live around me. A vision, I pray thee, a vision of love to win those around me for heaven above. Lord, bring us to the place where we pray something like that. As we read this story and we we see a man who receives that first touch of the Lord, that 
gives them partial sight. It reminds us of our conversion and when we got saved, we didn't know everything and we didn't have all the vision and the, and, and the burden that we ought. But Lord, there have been those times when the Lord has come and he's touched us again. And we need not just that second touch, but a third touch and a fourth touch and many more besides. Every day, we need the touch of God in our lives. Open our eyes to see. and Give us the vision that we need. Lord, burden our hearts at this mission time. As we enter the final week, help us to do what we can under God to bring others to the Savior for Christ's sake. Amen. Go labor on, spend and be spent. It's a hymn 520. Thy joy to do the Father's will, it is the way the Master went. Should not the servant tread it still? That's what I say to you, folks, today. Go labor on, and you spend and be spent for the Lord. Stand to sing.
Bible, here's the prayer of Elisha the prophet for his servant. Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And I pray that today for myself. And I pray it for this congregation. Open my eyes, open our eyes that we may see. I want that clear vision. And I want it now at this mission time. But I want it ever, every day. Lord, this is our prayer as we conclude. We want the opening up of the eyes that we may see, see as we ought to see, see men doomed and dying, going out into eternal damnation, see that there's no hope for them. And Lord, they're dying at our sides. Every day they're going out into eternity. Help us to rescue the perishing and care for the dying to snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, to weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, and tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Burden our hearts, Lord. Help us to redouble our efforts even at this mission time <coughs> and give us the vision that we need. Give this preacher the vision that I need. Lord, as I preach night by night, open my eyes. I don't want to see men as trees walking out there. I want to see them with clarity. I want to look through the eyes of Christ and so set eternal values before me. Dismiss us now in your fear and with your love upon us. Bless throughout this day. May the tide of blessing